Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. Okay, well, good morning. So, whew, I am technologically illiterate, but we already covered that. So, diving into uh, kind of the preambles of the sermon here. Uh, so, uh, throughout the summer, we haven't been doing a, a coherent series. We've been doing a bunch of one-offs, right? So, there's been someone talking about this, and someone talking about this, and someone talking about this, which is like, for me, I'm like, okay, well, what am I going to talk on? And uh, the problem is, I look at the Bible, and there's a lot of verses in there. And, uh, man, so I was like, so first I was like, I should, I'm going to preach on something that people don't often preach on. So I, I went right to uh, the list of names in uh, First Chronicles. And I was like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and uh, then, I, then I had a second, second sober thought. And I, we will do that in the future. That is coming. But that is not today. Uh, and then I kind of followed that up with a thought of, uh, well, why don't I focus on some of the verses that have meant the most for me as I've grown and that I've really felt God speak to me through and that have really transformed my life. And uh, so why don't we do that? And then we'll do Chronicles later. And so <laughs> that's, that's, that's how I ended up here. But I'm realizing that I do much better when someone's like, here's your text, preach it. And I'm like, hmm, I'm on it. But uh, this whole decision thing, that's tough. There's a lot of Bible to be preached. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so these have radically transformed my life, and so I kind of, uh, I want to bring them to you, uh, saying that they're scripture and praying that God speaks through them and, and, and talks to you, and maybe that'll be some of the same things I took, maybe it won't. Uh, I don't want to pretend that I know everything that's in those verses, so, but hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, and before we start, uh, during the discussion today, I'm going to be talking a lot about uh, Christians, surprise, surprise. And uh, I'm going to be saying we a lot, and I'm going to be including myself in that because I follow Jesus. Uh, and that's just mostly because of content and what we're going to be talking about. But if you're here this morning and you're somewhere else in a spiritual journey and you're not quite at that part where you're like, I want to follow Jesus, I want you to know that you're welcome here. And, and just realize that the, every time that I say we, that comes with an invitation. And that comes with the opportunity for you to be included in that we. But just because of the context, I'm going to be saying we a lot. So I'm not trying to do exclude you, but there is this kind of, I'm going to be using that terminology a lot. But every time you hear that, hear an invitation to be part of that as well. Anyways, I hope this will be enlightening to you and that God will speak to you, speak to us, and we'll sit under this uh, together. So the text, if you haven't guessed it already, is uh, Colossians 2, verses 8 to 15. And so uh, you're going to want either a Bible or to look at the slides. If the slides weren't going to work, I was like, oh, man, I feel, feel rough for these guys, because if they didn't bring a Bible, I might lose you. But let's uh, dive into it. So let's starting with, here's the test, verse 8. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there's verses before this that we didn't read, and in those verses, Paul was encouraging his readers to remain firmly anchored to Christ, firmly anchored to the gospel. He said things like, continue to be rooted and continue to be built up in your faith, which is ground yourself, dive into it. Don't be satisfied with this superficial connection, this superficial relationship with God. Want it and look for it and dig into it. 
And then the transition that we're hitting right here uh, is that he's warning them. And so he's saying, dig into your faith and be careful that you're not shifted from this, pers- from this position by any plausible seeming form of persuasion. And so this verse really is the first clue in this book that the church there is facing a danger, and it's a danger that's on the, the outside. And Paul isn't interacting with them out of this place of despair. It's not that he's, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like he's extremely scared about it, but he is warning. And so he is saying, there are other ideas out there. And I know that, and some of you are being persuaded, and some of you are leaning that way, and some of you are being convinced. And so I'm writing to you, and I'm telling you, don't get hijacked by these different ideas. There's a potential abductor here, and this abductor is this hollow and empty philosophy. And he's saying, it sounds really good, and I know that it sounds good, and I know that it's convincing, and I know that this person is a great leader and a great teacher, and I know that this other person had a great position in the church, and I know that you have a lot of respect for so-and-so, but they have... have left the church, that they're not really with us. It sounds good, but what they're preaching doesn't have anything near the fullness that the gospel that you've already accepted has. What they're preaching you, it's been emptied of power, and they may have charisma, but it's hollow, and it's deceptive, and it's ultimately untrue. And uh, one of the, I'm going to be using the language of affirmations here as we kind of talk through this. And one of the affirmations that we can pull out of the text this morning, which is kind of like a personal application, I think, is this. Affirmation number one is we can say, I will not be captured by an empty philosophy, but will examine things in wisdom before committing to them. And so as psychologists continue to study the human condition and the human mind, uh, they begin to find that we're not quite as rational as we like to think that we are. Um, The guy wrote a book, his name's uh, Daniel Kofferman, and the book's title is Thinking Fast and Slow. And in this book, he describes two ways of thinking. He he says there's system one and there's system two. And and system one is, that's that part of our brain that operates kind of on autopilot. It's split split second decisions, it's fast, it's quick, it makes immediate judgments. It's almost like it's built for jumping to conclusions. And then there's this second piece of our brain in the system two part, and that's the like plotting, slow, critical thinking, considering piece. And I think some of us have different amounts of, of each, and you might know people that fall more on one or the other. But th- what we're discovering is that people are largely affected by this system one machine. And it's this machine that's built for jumping to conclusions. A quote that comes out of the book is like, it seems like most of the time the emotional tail wags the rational dog. And the outcome of this is that we can be seduced into hollow philosophies. And this is possible. Maybe it's an emotional appeal, right? Maybe it's tugging on something that like we really want to be true or we'd really love for that to be true. If that's the case, then it's this emotional drawing on us. Maybe it's because of peer pressure. We belong to this group. This whole group thinks this. I would hate to be seen to think something different or to believe something different as opposed to this group. So instead of thinking about it, it's going to be easier for me to just go along with the reasons and the discussions and the things that they have already given me. Uh, maybe it's we're seeking status, right? We want to be seen as such and such or so and so. Or, and if we adopt this particular position, it's not because we're concerned whether it's true or not. If we adopt this position, it kind of, it'll give us some street cred and it'll help us out. 
And I guess what I'm saying with this is let's be sure that before adopting something, let's do the work to make sure that it's not something empty. Let us not be a people that are dominated by this twisted heart or, or, or pulled unduly by emotional sway or looking for status or, or whatever it else. Let's not just allow that system one piece to kind of just make decisions for us. Let's be a people who desire what is true above all else. So let us search and let us seek and let us learn and let us ask questions and let us test something thoroughly before we commit to it. It's not good enough that so-and-so said it. I like John Calvin a lot, but just because he said something doesn't mean I should believe him right away. And there's really, there's nothing more important than what you believe. So let's take the time to make sure that we're right about something before we believe it and before we put it into action. I'm kind of with G.K. Chesterton. He says, the most practical thing about a man or woman is their view of the universe because that's going to affect everything else. And let's make sure in that that our desire, and, and this is the piece that I think is important. Can you know everything? No. But let's make sure that our desire is for what is true and what is good and what is real. And that'll lead us to a process of testing, and that'll, that'll be our compass that leads us to what actually is. Let's be sure that's in the right place. Okay, just, uh, this is your verse, so you're tracking with me. Um, let's also realize here that Paul is not talking about philosophy specifically. He's, he's not saying don't read Plato or, or something similar to that. He's, he's using this in a much broader way. He's saying this deceptive philosophy. And uh, he's talking about uh, what people think. It's kind of like you could replace that with worldview if you wanted to. And so this first verse that we're looking at, it shows that this philosophy falls short. It's not true, and it's ultimately not of Christ. So it's devoid of truth, as all Christless teaching is. And it cannot fill you, and it's, it's not worth pursuing because it's empty, and it doesn't have anything, and it doesn't really have anything to give you. And it kind of reminds us of what Jesus says in Mark 7. He's criticizing the Pharisees. He says, you follow man-made traditions instead of the law of God. And this is a philosophy that seems attracted, but it's not connected, attractive, but it's not connected with divine truth. So there's false teachers, right? We mentioned that. And in this case, they're probably not denying that uh, Christ was central to God's saving purposes. They're probably saying something like, yeah, that's great. Jesus is great, but you have to add on this other piece. You need this. And uh, there's other gods out there, maybe, or other spiritual powers through which things are filtered. So you need to make sure you do these other rituals and, and bring these in alongside. And Paul is saying you cannot add to Christ without subtracting from his exclusive place in creation and salvation history. Jesus is enough. You cannot add to him. And that'll bring us to verse 9. Oh, pastor affirmation to verse 9. You cannot add to him, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And this philosophy that Paul's talking about, it shows its weakness when we think on who Jesus is. Jesus is filled with the very nature of the divine. He has the very nature of God in him. And he's not, he's not a cosmic battery that is like, you know, has some God in him and he goes out and he spends it and he goes back and gets recharged with more God so that he can go do that again. This is the limitless 
the infinite God who has taken on flesh, fully God and fully human, and there's mystery there, and I don't quite understand it, but both of those things are true, and he's both of those together, and God himself in his fullness has taken up residence and has come to earth and has revealed himself, and he didn't come in a temple, he came in a human body and was fully human as well. And so the false teachers, they they may have been talking about, you know, the fullness of the divine being. You know, you have Jesus, but there's more. And the fullness really comes down through this various spirits and powers. And you have to do these other rituals. And you kind of have to pander to these powers so that you make sure that, uh, you know, you just got to take care of all your bases. You have to add these things. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. If you're in Jesus, you have something better. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So God is not some far-off deity, according to Scripture. God is one who took on flesh. He's one that wanted us, that reached out for us, that revealed himself to us. He's one who came in love to make a way for us to be redeemed to himself, taken back to himself, to be in relationship with us. And that's awesome, not to downplay that. But it's not only that. There's more. Those who are in Jesus, they participate in his life. And in some way, his fullness is imparted to them. And John will say, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. And this verse will say that we are filled with that fullness. Um, There's nothing lacking that can't be filled in Jesus. Uh, sufficiency is a word that kind of hangs around there. He is sufficient. Uh, enough is another word. He is, he is enough, and we are filled. And particularly in regard to this argument, he's saying we don't need anything outside of Jesus. And since, get this, since Christ is the fullness of God, right? Christ is the fullness of God. So God, Christ is the fullness of God, and then believers are connected with Christ. Therefore, believers also receive this fullness in Christ. And so the Colossians, right, there's a danger. They're in danger of being disillusioned. They're in danger of being deflated by this empty philosophy that was trying to add on to Jesus. And the teachers are saying something like, we offer you real spiritual fullness. Yes, you have Christ, but move on from that to something deeper. Move on towards this deeper enlightenment. And Paul is saying, that's ridiculous. You have all of the completeness that you could ever want in Jesus. And here's where we'll just take a break from the text to make a second affirmation. And that is, when I am tempted to think that I don't measure up in some way, I will remember that I am complete and have been filled in Jesus. I will measure my success by Jesus. So if you were to make a human being... Uh, there's, there's a couple of desires that would lie extremely close to the human heart, right? There's a couple of things that would be primary ingredients uh, to make a human being or things that you'd have to, if you didn't include this, you'd be missing out on, the, on, on something. And yeah, anyways, uh, sorry, my brain does this when I ad lib. It goes all over the place. But one of these things you'd have to include would be the desire to be loved and accepted. That's something that's very central to the human heart, love. 
and this desire for it, desire to love and be loved. So you'd, you'd put that in, right? Another major ingredient that you'd have to include is the desire to do something meaningful, to make an impact on this world. God has put eternity into our hearts, says Ecclesiastes. There's desire for lastingness, for something outside of the temporal. And then there's a third desire. I'm sure there's more, but a third one that I want to focus on here is that you would also have to include this desire that we want to live a successful life. We want to live a good life. Uh, what's the metric but that we use to establish whether we've made it or, or we haven't? How do we know whether we're doing something good? How do we know what to pursue and where to direct our energies? How do we know whether we've taken everything we've been given and we did a good job with it or not? How do we know that we are a success? And this third thing, let's just focus on that. Uh, and how you understand what contributes to a successful life is going to vary a lot depending on what you value. I think that there's a pretty strong connection between value and success and how you gauge or rank yourself. And there's different metrics, right, that people are going to tell you by which to gauge success. And, and there's cultural voices. I mean, Scripture has a voice. But there's cultural voices that are going to tell you that your success or you're living a good life if, uh, if you're making money. And if you have a de decent salary and you can take care of your family and your extended family and you can help people out, and if you make enough money, that's how you know that you're going to be successful. Or you're a success if you're the best at what you do, if you strive for excellence and you reach this place where you're better than everybody else at this thing, or at least maybe not in the world, but just inside your own community, then, then you've got it. You're successful. Or you're a success if you enjoy life and you have the most fun and your mental state is one that can't be infringed on by other people. You, you know, you're just chill and you love life and that's just, that's the thing to be desired. And if you have that all the time, you're a success. Or, this is tempting for me, if you have a certain level of education, oh, I mean, uh, I'm working on a master's degree, right? But I know some people that have PhDs in this room and I'm like, wow. Like, I, there's that temptation to me to be like, I, I want to be like you. Because in me, it's like, well, that's successful. And so that wars in me. Or, or you're a success if you have a certain level of fitness, or you're a success if uh, you're sexually desirable and people are attracted to you. You're a success if you take lots of trips. You're a success if you have a lot of friends, a, a very broad social network. Because if people love me and I love people, then I'm, I'm doing well, right? And Facebook, I have like over a thousand friends, not to brag or anything, but you know? <laughs> Um, or you're a busy person with lots going on, you know, and because I'm busy and I'm always doing things, that means I'm important and people need me. And if I was to die or something horrible would happen, like think of all those things that wouldn't get done because I'm a busy person and I'm important and I work 60 hours a week and I'm a hard worker. I'm not like those long hairs that just sit around and do something else except work. Uh, or maybe you own your own business and you're self-sufficient and you have proven that you can physically, like, a, I mean, I, I don't really know much about physics, but you've proven, you've demonstrated that it is possible to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you have created this business and this thing, you're, you're sufficient and you can do that or you get good grades, right? Or uh, confession time. Or if you think you can beat someone up, you're like, yeah, he has a nice shirt and he looks good, but in a fight I could take him. <laughs> so like, I feel, I feel really good about myself because I could take that guy. Um, sorry guys. Uh, 
or, or, or you're a good person, you volunteer lots, or, or you're a success, or it's some combination of these things, right? And these are all m metrics by which we use to evaluate ourselves. And I, I, I know that you know what I'm talking about, because I know that you have already done this, at least subconsciously, if not consciously, with the people that you are sitting beside, probably. I mean, maybe you're not just as self-conscious as I am, but I'm sure that you've done this. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I really like that guy's shoes, but, but I can beat him up, right? So, like, it's okay. <laughs> like, my social status is, like, a little bit higher because I, I can take that guy, I think. Um, or she looks really good in that dress, and she wears that really well. And not only that, her kids get good grades, and they never say anything in church. Like, they're perfect. Right? And maybe that kind of, you know, and that kind of like, that's extra points for her and like a couple points down for you. And you're kind of like, when you interact with them, it's not on like a peer-to-peer -peer level. It's kind of on a like, well, you're so great. You have a PhD. Oh. <laughs> um, or maybe you're like, I mean, some of you will notice that Aaron came back from sabbatical and there was this thing growing on his face. And uh, I mean, it's because he spent a lot of time in prayer and he's very godly and he's increased in that, right? So he has this thing on his face. And... Uh, you know, and maybe, I don't, I don't want to speak for him, but maybe what happens is in our interactions, he's kind of like, yeah, but it's not as, not as nice as Matt's. <laughs> like, like, it's, like his is just so nice. And I'm like, Brother Aaron, please, let's not have that between us. This is not a metric. <laughs> So what I'm trying to say is that the Bible also adds a voice to these metrics, and it gives us another metric by which to evaluate ourselves. And the metric that it presents is, are you in Jesus or are you, or are you not? Because if you're not, then Scripture talks about you being spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. But if you are in Jesus, then you've been made alive, death and life. You've been made alive together with him. And so it says this, if you're in Jesus, you are filled with him, who is the head of all power and authority. In Jesus, you are complete in the power of all these other metrics. They are all vanity. They are all merest breath. They all fade away. I've been reading a lot of Ecclesiastes, right? They all disappear because this is something eternal. This is something lasting. Those other things, they don't matter anymore. If you're in Jesus, you have everything that you need. In Jesus, you have chosen, and he has chosen you, and you're united with God, and you've, you've kind of passed the test. Like, if you died tomorrow, you would die a success. There's nothing else that has to be achieved. There's nothing else that has to be added on to that. There's no other boxes that you have to check. There is nothing that has to be added to Jesus. In him, you have everything that you could ever need. In Jesus, you have success. In Jesus, you have achieved the good life. And so that was so powerful to me as I read this years ago. And, you know, I'm a teenager. I was, was a teenager, and I was struggling. And, like, you know, like, how do I— I can beat that guy up, but does that really, does that really matter? But there's so much freedom in this message, because you don't need to strive to become someone in order to be a success in this life. In Jesus, you already have it. Uh, and the only thing I can control, really, see, the problem with a lot of these metrics is it's based on things that you can't control. The only thing that I can control, and you too, by the way, unless you're different than me, is you can control your heart-ish. Whether you can beat someone up or not, 
uh, you can't control that. Aaron and I have different genes, you know? It's, <laughs> he, he can't control that. But we can control our heart, and we can give our allegiance to Jesus, and we can choose to be reunited with God. And I, I found that when I do that, I'm released from all fear of failure, and I'm released from all fear of not measuring up. I'm released from the opposite of what we've been talking about, the fear of being a failure and a failing in life. And instead, I'm freed. I no longer have to use those metrics. I have a better one. And I'm freed to, to pursue what it is that God is calling me to, how it is that he's gifted me, the things that he's given me. I'm, I'm freed to uh, use my mental energy to not have to compare myself to everyone that I meet and establish some kind of like social hierarchy because I have Jesus. I'm free to pursue his kingdom. I'm free to be a blessing to Carlton Place. I can take that energy that I spent evaluating myself and I can use that to bless people. And I can use that to bless Carlton Place. And I can use that to tell people about Jesus. And I can serve from a place of thankfulness and a place of peace and, uh, and not from a place of fear. And, it's, and not from a place of being scared of failing. And it's not from a place of, oh, I have to measure up or, oh, I have, to be an or, I have to be a success. I don't need to pretend. I don't need to wear masks in my relationship. I don't need to cover things. I can pursue honesty. I can pursue openness because I have everything that I could ever want in Jesus. Jesus is the one who defines me. He is the one that matters. And this is not something to be attained or lost because I have it already. Uh, so you may not know this about me. I'm, I'm really shy. I'm really, as a kid, I, I was a very shy person. And I was shy because I was self-conscious. I was scared of what you'd think about me. And if I said something stupid, if you, you know, you'd kind of jump on me and kind of like, and then I'd have to like not make eye contact with you. And that's, I mean, you may not guess that now. I mean, maybe you would, but this has, like, liberated me. Like, you know, like, I wanted to be a success. I would compare myself to people. And I don't have to do that anymore. Like, I have Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's the metric. Uh, <clears throat> so Paul has been telling us about this uh, enduring spiritual reality, right? He's saying, you're filled in Jesus. So he's now going to transition to telling us how this reality has come into being. So he's answering the question of what's changed as we move to verse 11. And he says, this is what's changed. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh, of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. So the Christian movement, right? It's this fulfillment and it's big word alert. Eschatological expression of the new people of God. So in the Old Testament, there was this physical sign of the covenant between God and the people of Israel, and that was circumcision. And Paul says here that there is a circumcision of the heart performed by the Spirit. And this is what now marks a person as belonging to God. And this particular circumcision is done by God without hands. And it's a metaphor here. And it's saying this is the transition of from the old life into the new life. It's in the death and it's in the resurrection of Jesus that we are brought from life, or sorry, we are, we are brought to life from death. We are brought from death to life. And Paul's going to continue to explain this idea as we move on. 
He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So you've been spiritually circumcised. You've been marked as belonging to God if you're a Christian. Remember my preface right at the beginning, right? Uh, You've been marked as belonging to God and you've been transitioned from death to life. And that took place while you were buried with Christ and you were raised with him. And this burial and this raising with him, it took place when you were baptized with him. And the power of God is shown here to overcome and to overrule death in the resurrection of Jesus. And so this same power of resurrection, it now becomes available to those who put their trust in him. And so the same mighty God who raised Jesus from the dead, he promised to raise Jesus and he raised Jesus, now promises to raise us and will raise us and does raise us already transitioning us from death to life. And also note that it's faith that connects us with this power of God that raises him from the dead. Uh, And faith is trust, right? And it's coming to a place where it's like, I I believe you. I believe that this is what you've done, God, and I want to know you. And I ask for forgiveness. Please forgive me. I want to know you. I want to be in relationship with you. Uh, Help me understand what all these things mean. And uh, there's a lot more that I could say there, but for the sake of time, we're going to keep going. I'm just saying, I know there's more that we could say. Uh, Yeah, so it's faith that connects us with this power of God. And so Paul's going to go on from there, and he's going to say, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. And so he's highlighting the new life, right? Talking to the Colossians, remember they're struggling, some are doubting, some are like going this way. And he's like, Paul holds up the new life and he says, look at this and look at what you were. This is what's happened to you. You were spiritually dead. You were headed to death. This is part of the emptiness and the hollowness that he's talking about. And you you were headed to death. You were dead. You largely spoke and acted death. And when you turned to God and when you asked for forgiveness, at that point, the Holy Spirit, it entered your heart and it did this circumcision without hands thing and it marked you as belonging to God and it made you alive, spiritually alive in the here and now, and that will transition into eternity, into eternal life. And so look at this, death and decay and darkness has been restored and has been turned into life and light and goodness. And this state of condemnation where you sat under the wrath of God has been radically transformed and turned into forgiveness and freedom because of what Jesus has achieved for us. So this is a summary. We, we now know what it is that we have, right? We talked about that. We know what we have. We have fullness of life in Jesus. Not only do we know what we have, but we know how it came to be. Uh, we were circumcised in our hearts by the circumcision without hands. And we were united with Jesus in his baptism and resurrection. And we now know a piece of what that means for us now. It means that we're alive. It means that we have life. It means that we're connected with the author of life instead of death. And uh, in our last two verses, uh, Paul is going to describe how he has made us alive in a couple of significant ways. Uh, First way he made us alive, he did it by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. 
with its legal demands. So this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So we are alive because of the forgiveness that we experience in Christ. And that is, that is total. And he's going to give us this word picture here. He says, it's kind of like this. So there's this document that all of humanity has signed. And all of humanity has signed it by virtue of being created by God. And this document says, I owe you praise, worship, adoration. And we have all given that to God. This document that is an IOU, we owe you these things because you are, uh, you are our creator. And then there's this other document that stands against us. And on it is written all of the times that we have failed. All of the times that we have failed to live up to that. All of those times where uh, we owed God these, these things, but we did not give it to him. So on there is written, Matt thought he could beat up uh, Tom over here, and he thought he could beat up Tim, and he thought he could beat up... This is, like, this is a whole list of documents. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. <laughs> and so it's all written on there, right? And it's this thing that stands against us, and it witnesses against us, and it says, you have failed. Therefore, your penalty is death, separation. And that document in Christ, that document that stands against us, that document that condemns us, that document that keeps us from standing before God, God takes that document and he wipes it clean. And all of those sins are erased. And not only did did he wipe it clean, he also took it and he nailed it to the cross, which is the same way that Jesus was nailed to the cross, right? was nailed to the cross, and it highlights the completeness of the removal. This is no longer in the way. This is no longer something that you have to be concerned about. The completeness of the removal and the means by which it was accomplished. There's something else that he did, too. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so we're rescued not only from guilt— but we're also rescued from the hold that other powers had over us. Uh, And here we have the conclusion uh, about how we have been brought to fullness of life in Christ. So God, through the cross of Christ, has won a victory over the rebellious powers. And so God has removed any claim of the spiritual powers that they might have over us. He has done so clearly. He has done so publicly. Note that there seems to be a connection between sin and the hold that these powers have over humanity. But it's in forgiveness of sin that this power has been broken. We've mentioned false teachers a bunch, right? They seem to be feeding on this fear. So the false teachers are probably feeding on a fear of various celestial spirits, and and they're insisting that believers need to follow certain other rules and and other rituals, and you need to make sure that you're pandering to this one and that one, and Jesus is great, but he's not enough. And Paul says that God sending Christ to the cross is the final and the definitive means to take care of sin. And this has removed the power that these spirits had. They no longer have a place. They no longer have power here. Christ's authority over the rules and the rulers and authorities has been divinely manifested in him. And in Christ, we share in that authority. We share in his fullness. And uh, that'll just lead us to our last affirmation, which is, in Jesus, I am completely 
I am completely forgiven. So 11 to 15, those last chunk that was kind of a little bit of a chunk, and there was, we were just looking at the text mostly, and if you're not used to that, you're kind of like, oh. And if we didn't have slides, you'd be like, what are we talking about? But I'm glad the slides worked. Whew. So that has been a description, right, of how our spiritual place in Jesus has come to be. And so we went on, underwent this heart circumcision by which we've been marked as the people of God. And that's not something you're going to see physically, by the way. Like, I hope it's something that, like, comes through in our actions, but you're not like, oh, check out my scar. I'm a Christian now, and we all have, like, these little scars on our hearts. It doesn't, it's not something physically. But then we were, we were buried, and we were raised with him in baptism by the power of God. We were then reminded that we were dead in our trespasses, but we have now been made alive. So regarding our personal relationship with God, Jesus has taken the record of debt that stood against us and witnessed against us, and he nailed it to the cross. So there is now nothing that stands between us on a personal level. So if if God's here, and, and I'm over here, there was this thing that witnessed against me and said, you thought you could beat up Pastor Aaron. And that's no longer there. That's been taken care of, and that's been nailed to the cross. So that is out of the way. That way to God is open. And these powers and these authorities and these things that we were enslaved to and these things that were holding me back and pulling on me and turning my gaze that way and turning my eyes that way and keeping me from God, Jesus has conquered them, and their power has been broken. And so D-Day has come, and the outcome of the battle is assured. And what does that mean? That means that there's nothing left to stand against us. Our sin, dealt with. Other spiritual enemies and powers, broken and defeated. So our path to God is wide open. The only thing that can hold us back now is our will. It's our choice. Seems like he's given us that power. And if we choose that we don't want to worship God, and if instead we choose an empty philosophy, uh, he'll, he'll let us do that. He loves us enough to not force us. But if we want to know our Father, and we want to be with him in relationship, there is nothing stopping us. There is nothing stopping us, there is nothing in the way, and there is nothing holding us back. There is no sin that we have done, there is no sin that we could do that will separate us from our father. So sometimes people will say, well, yeah, well, if you knew that I was such a bad person, well, no, like that cannot separate you from God. That has been dealt with. That's been nailed to the cross. Well, in the future, what if I do this? That's been taken. That record that stood against you, it's been taken and it's been nailed to the cross. That does not stand. I'm sorry. If you don't want to come to God, it's going to be your own decision. You're not going to get to use sin as an excuse because there is no sin. Uh, yeah, but I was really, you know, I felt like these other, I felt attacked and there was these other things. I'm sorry. We, we go through things and I understand that, but their power has been broken. They're not going to, if you want to get to God, they're not going to keep you from God. Their power has been broken. They have no power. And uh, so I guess that's the bottom line. There's nothing that stands between us because of Jesus. God accepts those who come to him as children and the way is open. And so because God accepts us, because there's been grace upon grace and we've been filled with that, let's, let's be honest with him. I mean, he already knows our sin. He already knows our failures. Uh, so let's work on honesty and openness there. He already accepts us. Let's be 
open and honest with each other. That trickles down, right? Let's learn and let's grow together and let's be full of the same grace that we have experienced and that we have received from our Father. And, and we're secure in Him. And so it doesn't matter what so-and-so thinks. And it doesn't matter that their dress is nicer. And it doesn't matter that their, ki- their kids are just better in every way. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, we have nothing to lose that matters. We have all that we could ever want in Jesus. And I'll close with this. And as we close, I guess I was just trying to think, okay, well, what is it that, this is what the text says, what is it that God wants to say to us through this? And I think that what God would say to us through this text this morning, I think he would say that our identity is solid in him. Uh, We are his children through what Jesus has done if we come to him. I think he would say, pursue honesty, pursue vulnerability with each other. He would say, let go of pride, adopt humility, kind of like what Stacy was talking about last week. Your identity is secure in me, and you are filled in me. So let's, so operate out of that, operate out of your identity, operate out of your fullness, operate out of who you are, operate out of this place of peace and this security, and from there, look to bless each other, look to bless Carlton Place, look to bless Almont, look to bless the surrounding area. And uh, let's pray, and then I think that's it. I don't think there's anything else after that. Um, So God, we come to you. And uh, I think the first thought that comes to mind, I guess, is thank you. Thank you for what you give us. Thank you for fullness in you. Thank you for connection with you. Thank you for the grace upon grace that you have lavished upon us and you have given us. Um, God, please um, please uh, meet with us. Please transform our hearts, transform our minds. We give ourselves to you, asking that you would take us and form us, asking that you would use us for your kingdom. That's what we want. We want to know you. Give us extra control over our hearts and let us direct them to you. We pray that you would bind our hearts to yourself. We pray that you would take us, make us more like Jesus, make us more like your son. And uh, yeah, help us to be a family as we figure out what that means right here, right now. And uh, just thank you. Thank you for everything. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.